As we think about the songs we have sung, we are God's people. Blessed be the tie that binds. Ruth Ann sang, a mighty fortress is our God. The fullness of the Godhead draws in Christ, and we have completeness in Christ. All of that is related to the book that we're discussing, the book of Jude. As Jude emphasizes the security that we have in Christ, God's power as we contend for the faith. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider several verses from the book of Jude this morning, we want to be those who hear and live your word. And as we think about particularly how to contend for the faith, may we as a body recognize that it's something we do together for your glory because you're at work in us. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. They are four-legged, furry, quick, beady-eyed, ugly-looking creatures which create heart in the, or fear in the heart of many people. But yet they provided a challenge for the Brubaker boys. Rats abounded by the hundreds in our chicken farm. And we had to respond to them. Dad responded in basically two ways, poison and cats. As boys, we came up with another strategy, what we called rat hunts. A rat hunt involves going out to the chicken pen after the lights are out. You go with a flashlight and what we call a billy club. The chickens are all on the roost. And as you shine a light, you can find a rat, and the light will blind them for a second, and that's when you dive in, and not literally dive in, but you take that club and you hit them a couple, and you got one. And you wait a few moments, and you shine around, and you will find some more. It worked. It provided much pastime entertainment for we boys. You say, that's terrible pastime entertainment. Whether you think it's terrible or not, we didn't have TV. <laughs> we didn't have the internet. So we made our own entertainment. The beloved to whom Jude is writing, were not facing rats, but certain men. They were ungodly. They were teaching false teaching. The readers had to respond, and Jude is encouraging them how to respond in verses 17 through 23. They're not to drive out the teachers, but he does give some counsel. Let's read Jude, beginning with verse 17. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ were told. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers, who will follow their own ungodly desires. <coughs> These are men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ 
to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, in way of review, we have compared Jude to a sandwich, verses 1 and 2 being the bread, verses 3 through 16 being the meat, and verses 17 through the end of the chapter being bread. In verses 1 and 2, he reminds them that they're called by God and they're kept by Jesus Christ. In verses 3 through 16, he talks about certain men who are kept for judgment, whose condemnation was written about beforehand. Then in verses 17 through 25, he again tells them how to respond, and he says they're kept by God. As secure ones in Christ, we find that Jude exhorts them to contend for the faith. That's the overall theme. Why were they to contend? Because certain men had slipped in among them secretly. And he describes them in verses 5 through 16. Particularly in verses 5 through 7, we find that God's attitude towards them, God's thinking towards these certain men who have turned the grace of God into a license for sin and denied Jesus Christ. He says they're under judgment. They'll suffer judgment in the future. In verses 8 through 16, he goes on to further describe these men. He says they pollute their own bodies. They reject celestial beings. They're blemishes at your love feast. They're shepherds who feed only themselves and so on. And then in verse 17, he says, but. What does but imply? Doesn't but imply a contrast? He's contrasting what? He has just discussed the false teachers They care only about themselves. They flatter others for their own advantage. But he says, dear friends, the false teachers stand in contrast to the people to whom Jude is writing. They're dear friends. He also is contrasting these certain men, these false teachers, with what the apostles said, because remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. It's much wiser to listen to the apostles than to the certain men, just as it is wiser to listen to one's parents than to enemies. He says, but, dear friends, the idea behind dear friends and the Greek word that is used here basically means beloved. In verse 2, he had said they're beloved by God. In verse 3, he says, dear friends... And in verse 20, he says, dear friends, he's writing to those that are loved by God. They stand in, again, contrast to these certain men. But dear friends, remember. Remember what? What the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. 
The apostles were called ones. They're the one who, ones who followed Christ for some three years. They stand again in contrast to these certain men. They had been with Christ. And they said in the last times, and the last times seem to have begun with Christ, the time of Christ. The early church lived in the last times. We live in the last times. But the apostles had said, <coughs> in the last times there will be scoffers. Scoffering, scoffers are those who trick, those who deceive. It's kind of like Danny when he was younger, Ruth Ann's mother, and she was gullible. You know, you can get her all the time. He held his finger, and he put some ketchup on it, and he ran in and said, Grandma, look what happened. I cut my finger. She said, oh, I guess we'll have to go to the doctor. And then Danny starts to laugh, straightens his finger out. You know, he tricked her. She was gullible. You can get her all the time. That was kind of lighthearted, but here it's very serious. They're scoffers. They're out to trick. They're out to deceive. And he says, these scoffers follow their own ungodly desires. They look out for themselves. They're in bondage to evil. Some modern day examples of scoffers would be one who teaches that life is to be pain free. There's teaching today in the larger circle of Christianity that says you shouldn't have any problems. You should have a pain-free life relationally, financially, and so on. There's another teaching that says if you're godly, you'll be blessed financially, materially, and you won't have any problems. There's another one that is around, and that is you can say you're saved because you made a profession of faith years ago but you don't necessarily demonstrate it in your life in the present. So you can live kind of the way you want if you made a profession of faith years ago and you're just okay when Scripture would emphasize the present life. But scoffers, that which is incorrect, he goes on then to further describe them. He says, these are men who divide you. Divide, is the, this is the only place this is you, word is used in the New Testament. And it means to draw boundaries. You've got to be here. If you're not in these boundaries, you're not good, you're not accepted. And an illustration of what it means to draw boundaries comes from when I was in high school. When I was in high school, we had five sections. Sections one and two were academic. Section three was commercial. Second, section four was general. Section five was VOAG. Sections one and two were the smart smarties. Section three was the smarts. Section four was the dumb. And section five was a dumber dumber. And that was true because... The one and two sections looked down on us dumber dumbers. And we dumber dumbers were told quite often in various ways that you're dumb. You're beyond dumb, you're dumber. There was a division. 
So I am in the dumber, dumber category. I wanted to take ag class, but I wanted to take academic classes also. They said, you can't. It's not been done that way. You're in the dumber, dumber category. They didn't use that terminology, but that was the bottom line. I said, I want section one classes. You can't have them. The whole issue was division. I finally got the classes, you know, and I proved to them that I wasn't dumber, dumber. But, but there was a division, and that's what's happening here. These men come on the scene, and they divide people. They set up categories. If you don't follow a certain category, you're not on target. Zach shared a couple of weeks ago, one category is just the whole issue of Bible translation. Some people set up categories. If you don't use a given translation of Scripture, you're not in. In some circles, you set up boundaries with physical appearance. I grew up in a community where there was a boundary set. If you did not dress in a certain way, you were not part of them. You were on the outside. And in Christianity today, at times, there's physical appearance, boundaries. There's also men who will divide us because of what you eat. You don't eat certain foods. If you eat them, you're not part of us. In Jude's day, these certain men who were under judgment divided people. Jude goes on to say, they follow mere natural instincts. They're just selfish. What comes natural, they do. It's not an issue of godliness. The Spirit of God is not in them. And he goes on thirdly to say that they don't have the Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we find there that Paul talks about the fact that believers have been given a deposit guaranteeing their future inheritance. The Spirit is that deposit. But he says, these men don't have the Spirit. And notice what he says in verse 20. But, again, there's a contrast. But you, dear friends, these men don't have the Spirit. They follow mere natural instincts. They divide you. But you, dear friends, you beloved. Here's how you contend for the faith. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. How do you contend for the faith? In body relationships. Build yourself up. Now I want you to emphasize something that comes through. When you read, build yourself up. He's not saying, Chip, build yourself up. Alberta, build yourself up. Joe, build yourself up. He's writing to a group of believers. And he's saying collectively as a group, build yourself up. Yes, we are individually responsible for responding, but as a body, we're to care for one another. And he's saying to the body, contend for the faith. How do you do that? By building yourself up. Just as you build a house, you add one thing on top of another. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. If you go back to verse 3, he said, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. The faith he is talking about is a system of beliefs. He's talking about what you believe. 
not talking about whether you trust in God or not, but core basic doctrines, who God is, who Christ is as deity in human form, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ascension, the fact that he is a high priest, the inspiration of scriptures. He says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. How does a local church build itself up in its most holy faith? Just a couple practical thoughts. Listening to those who teach scripture and then acting on it. <coughs> Keeping one another on target doctrinally. So Arden and Lorraine are talking somewhere along the line and Arden says, uh, Lorraine, have you ever heard so-and-so speak? You know, he's pretty good and Lorraine immediately thinks that teacher's not on target and Lorraine says Arden who'd you say you're listening to do you know what he believes he's going to pull you away you got to come back on track and building you up in your most holy faith responsibility for one another that as a body, those who Jude was writing to would build themselves up. They cared for one another. They were concerned for one another and what they were being taught or what they were hearing and keeping one another on target doctrinally. We have a responsibility to one another. How do you contend for the faith? He says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. And then he says, pray in the spirit. Pray is a general term for communication with God. And he says, pray in the spirit. Who's the spirit? The spirit is the one who is a deposit, guaranteeing our future inheritance. The spirit is the one whom the false teachers did not have. He clearly says at the end of verse 19, they do not have the spirit. He says, now to you, dearly beloved, talk to God in the Spirit. And it seems like Jude's readers would understand we're to pray, we're to talk to God, and that's through the Spirit, the Spirit at work in us as we talk to God. I think praying in the Spirit Definitely involves corporate prayer, the body praying together. But let's back off a little to family praying together and to a couple in marriage praying together. Praying in the Spirit. Part of contending for the faith is not to eliminate the certain men, but to pray in the Spirit. Then he says, keep yourself in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. Again, right into a body, right into a group of believers, keep yourself in God's love. Verse 1, he said to those who have been called, who are loved by God. Love is a choice that God made. We're dead. We're separated from God. 
God chose to love us. He demonstrated that love in the person of Christ. And as you look at else or other passages in the New Testament, you find we're adopted by God, we're heirs of God, we're co-heirs with Christ. We can't be separated from the love of God. He says, keep yourselves in God's love. as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. We live in this day and age when there's certain men, there's false teachers. He says, keep yourself in God's love until you experience the ultimate in eternal life. You say, how do you keep yourself in God's love? As a body, we remind ourselves over and over again that our eternal life is a gift. God took dead people spiritually and gave them life. We remind one another that we can do nothing to deserve God's love and we can do nothing to turn God's love off because that love was expressed in Christ and we're loved and kept because of that love. For years, I thought I could lose God's love. And I've had people remind me over the years, remember, you're in God's love. You're in God's love. You're dearly loved by God. You're beloved. How about the person that you know who has drifted some from God and you're talking to them and they say, well, I'm not sure God loves him anymore because I've been struggling And you talk to them some, and you know that they have come to faith in Christ, and you remind them by going in Romans chapter 8 and say, you can't be separated from the love of God. Stay in God's love. Let the love of God motivate you. How about the person who comes from a background of works, religion, you have to do, you have to do and do and do to measure up. And then you might get into God's good grace. But they actually come to faith in Christ. They've trusted in Christ as their Savior. But yet they're battling. You're talking with them and you say, I'm not sure I'm saved today. And you remind them, stay in God's love. He chose to love you. He chose to give you eternal life. I'm encouraging you to reflect on that. Remember, you're waiting for eternal life to be a reality. But until then, stay in God's love. Jude is writing to these people, encouraging them to contend for the faith. How would they contend? building themselves up in their most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, 
and keeping yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We're dealing with practical, hands-on type of things for the readers of Jude, but also for those of us who are hearing it today and living and responding. We can't sit passively back because Jude says there's certain men who turn the grace of God into a license for immorality and they deny our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, contend for the faith. That doesn't mean you get rid of all the certain teachers, but it does mean build yourself up. As a body, we build ourselves up in the faith. We pray in the Spirit, and we keep ourselves in God's love. And then next week, as we wrap up Jude, we'll discuss that we're to be merciful to those who doubt. We're to snatch others from the fire, and to others we're to show mercy. I want you to think, as we conclude our interaction with Jude, Who do you know that needs to be built up in their faith? They may have slipped a little in some way, shape, or form. They may question some things, build them up. As a couple, as a family, as a body, pray. Pray in the Spirit. These certain men didn't have the Spirit. And then keep yourself in God's love. Who do you know that is doubting God's love? Believer in Christ has walked with God, but yet doubting God's love. Encourage them to keep in God's love. Let's pray together. Father, you make it very clear that we've been called as believers. We're loved by you and we're kept by Jesus Christ. You make it very clear at the end of the book that you're able to keep us from falling and to present us before you in your glorious presence without fault and with great joy. We thank you for that. We know that that is through Christ. Those items are a reality. And as a body of believers, we don't want to be chasing after false teachers and trying to identify them all and chase them away. But rather, a body that is building ourselves up in our most holy faith praying in the Spirit, and keeping ourselves in your love. May we act and respond on this passage, Father, for your glory. As we reflect on Christ through communion, 
We're grateful that we're loved by you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.